hey girls, this is what's up. And by the way, we should be doing X, Y, Z if we want to buy a house, be independent and blah, blah, blah. I love spending it, but you know, the word budget really needs a makeover <laughs> in terms of brand image. <laughs> Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J. And before we get stuck into today's conversation, just a little disclaimer, the content of this conversation is general information and for educational purposes only. Nothing contained in this is or is intended to be construed as individual financial, tax or legal advice. You should, before you act or use any of this information, consider the appropriateness of this information having regard to your own financial situation and requirements and seek advice from suitably qualified professionals before making any financial decisions. Now, I'm super excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is a financial wellness coach, a leading voice in the financial space, having appeared on Studio 10, Yahoo Finance and Australia's leading women's network, Nine Honey, plus many, many more. Welcome to the show, Betsy Westcott. Hello. Happy Friday. (laughs) Happy Friday. So good to chat with you and connect with you this way. And you know what's super funny? So we were just kind of mentioning before we hit record that your cousin is actually Ange Simpson, who um, we had on the podcast. (laughs) And it was so funny because when I spoke to Ange, we figured out that we have mutual friends that we were at the same wedding but we didn't know each other then. So oh. she was she was in Melbourne and we were at this wedding and then we kind of figured out we had this kind of like six degrees of separation thing. So it's a, it, it happens all the time. Like, I mean, I'm from Queensland originally, so I'm always like Queensland's a small place. Then I've been living in Sydney for a decade and Sydney is a small place. So let's just go Australia is a, is small, a small place. place. <laughs> Literally, like we all kind of, it's so crazy how connected we all are. So I'm I'm so excited uh, to have you on the show and to talk about all the juicy stuff that we're going to be chatting about today. So those of you listening know that, you know, we talk about physical, emotional, mental health and well-being. And, you know, what's kind of interlinked with all of this is financial well-being and how to be financially fit. And if you want to live a healthy and fit lifestyle, you want to get a trainer, a coach or buy organic, whatever, you know, whatever lifestyle it is that you want to live, obviously money plays a huge factor in all of these things. You need to pay for these things. So I think uh, as women, especially this conversation is something that we don't really have a lot. Um, And it's really cool that we're going to be talking about this. So I'm interested to know, you know, as coaches, I think often there's something that we've experienced or witnessed uh, in our lives that kind of brings us to want to help people in in this particular space or whatever space we're working in. So how did you find yourself helping women with their finances? Was there something that happened to you or experienced or witnessed that led you down this path? There were a multitude of experiences. I would say the most formative one was um, things I observed growing up. I grew up and at about the age of six, my parents separated. We'd previously been growing up on a on a farm in like remote Western Queensland. And then my parents separated and my mum moved to Townsville and had to go back to work. And she trained as a nurse before having us kids had had a career break, you know, working, contributing to the family farm, but 
um, not sort of officially employed. And so she went back to work as a nurse. And as we know, despite the very important work that nurses do in our communities, they're not paid particularly well. Um, But one thing my mum had was good financial literacy um, and all self-taught as well. Um, And what that meant is that, you know, whilst recovering from a divorce, which is um, quite financially devastating for most of us, um, number one wealth destruction method is to get divorced, just divide everything. (laughs) Yeah. In spite of that, you know, she managed um, to send my brothers and I to semi-private schools, the old Catholic kind, um, and then, you know, buy and pay off a home. Um, She always paid cash for her cars. When she bought a new car, she'd save up and then buy it wow Um, that's cool yeah and she I I was going to say it was a couple of years ago now but she managed to retire at age 65 with enough superannuation to financially support herself throughout the rest of her life which is a tremendous achievement and you know something that you know, very good friends of hers who have been in industries like law or have been surgeons or doctors um, haven't been able to do because they didn't have those same practices. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I really learned early that it's not how much money you earn, but what you do with your money that makes the biggest impact. Um, I never intended to be a banker, like did not grow up thinking (laughs) that sounds like a lot of fun. I was like, going to be a fabulous hotelier and make beautiful experiences with people, but fell into banking, um, you know, got trained uh, as a financial advisor, as a mortgage broker, did a lot of work advising uh, people from, you know, everyday Australians to when I was working as a private banker, um, advising some of the wealthiest families and individuals around, um, around Australia. And something that always stood out to me was that, you know, money is not the means to the end. It's, it's just a tool that we have to create a life we feel really excited about. And what we do with it, how we think about it, is what influences our financial outcomes. And financial literacy, um, you know, it's the, you would assume really wealthy Australians have great financial literacy. But let me tell you, I worked with a lot of clients that earned a lot of money but spent even more and were in all sorts of financial mm. trouble. So all of those things kind of led me to this, this coaching path where I realised that we aren't taught about money in our society um, unless our family teaches us, but it's not in part of the school curriculum. There's not a lot of courses or that that's changing. Um, and so I just saw a real gap which was mostly fueled by wanting to help my girlfriends because like I was privileged and knew what you know knew a lot about money because of my job and I was like hey girls this is what's up and by the way we should be doing xyz if we want to like buy a house and be independent and blah 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 so that's where it started and then it's kind of just grown into a bit of a that's fun amazing. side hustle that's so cool i think i think you're right too we aren't taught this kind of stuff at school it's definitely not part of the curriculum and i think we we all you know sort of need to learn more about money and one of the things that you have said is prioritizing your financial well-being is a form of self-care, which is a really great way to frame it, you know, for yourself, especially if you look at money or think about money and kind of, you know, it seems a bit irky to, to look at, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
it's not that sexy sometimes to think no, about it. As I a, mean, you know, I love spending it, but like, yeah. you know, the word budget really needs a makeover. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> it needs a rebrand. <laughs> so what does it really mean to be financially fit and particularly for us as women? What does that what does that mean even? Yeah, so look, really simply to have financial well-being or to be financially fit um, consists of three things. So you can ask yourself three questions and if you can say yes to all three, then congratulations, you are financially fit. And if you can't say yes, then that indicates what you might need to work on. So first of all, um, do you have enough money to meet your everyday needs or do you spend less than what you earn? Um, and so being able to kind of, you know, get from one pay cycle to another, if you can do that, then you're doing well. Um, the second thing is, do you have enough reserves, some emergency cash, rainy day fund, OMG account, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a lot of names for it, but whatever you want to call it, just make sure you have one. But essentially, this is um, a, a cash reserve that if something unexpected happens, it doesn't derail your entire life, be it something as small as needing to suddenly replace the tires on your car to something as significant as having a health scare where you need to take time out to just care for yourself or, or potentially, you know, if you lose a job or needed to leave a job suddenly, could you support yourself with that? So that's number two. And then number three is if you have the ability to put money toward your long-term goals. So that's that long-term wealth creation and the what I call the freedom fund stuff, the things that are going to allow you to have a lot more flexibility and create that life you're really excited about. So if you're doing all those three things, then that's a really good indicator that you have financial well-being. Oh, that's so good. I, I really like how you've broken it down like that. And I think it's important for us to think about it in those kind of blocks because you obviously do different things with your money, right? And this whole idea about being financially fit or financially independent, I guess, is something that I don't think everyone has grown up with particularly, especially as women. I know for me, when I look to, you know, the boomer generation, I think there's this kind of split. Well, this is what I've noticed. There's this split where some households were set up in a really, I guess, more traditional traditional roles where the man would be the provider and the woman might be the homemaker and maybe be less, you know, financially independent. But then there's kind of another realm of people who maybe grew up in a household where some women had to go back to work by necessity to help support the family or um, because they became a single parent. But then our generation, the millennial generation, I would say, is, a lot, I guess, a lot more interested or it's a lot more normalised for women to be financially independent, right? Yes. And isn't it fabulous? It's so fabulous <laughs> that we have that, I mean, that it's, you know, not, it's, it's not weird. It's like a normal thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So can you speak to why it is so important for us as women to be, well, to develop this sense of financial well-being and independence and not only that, but be able to create wealth, be able to be savvy with our money. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So what you were talking about in terms of those historical, I guess, um, 
ways families were set up and established, but actually also the financial system mm. wasn't built for women um, and women weren't a part of the construction. It wasn't, you know, it was only in my mum's generation where it was still really commonplace that you couldn't open a bank account. You certainly couldn't buy a house without permission or a co-signing male in your life, be it your father or your husband or a brother or something like that. Um, so women having access and the right to own property, to manage their own money, to earn an income. Um, you know, I'm eight months pregnant. Back in the day, I would have had to resign and, you know, give up my career um, yeah. because of that, whereas that is a very different situation now and, and certainly not the expectation. So the fact that women as a whole often lack confidence um, or don't feel like they see themselves in the world of finance is absolutely understandable because we weren't a part of the world of finance for, for many, many years. And if you look at a lot of the language around money, it's very masculine. Mm. Um, you know, you talk about uh, how is a market performing? Oh, it's a bull market or it's a bear market. I mean, goodness. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, yeah, hey, hey fellas. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very sort of masculine industry, but that's really changing. And um, there's wonderful research showing um, out there that's, you know, sort of saying to financial services, like women are the new generation of wealth. They're going to inherit the majority of the world's wealth in the next few decades. They're earning more, they're starting more businesses, um, but they have really different preferences. So we're going to see a big transformation in financial services over the next few decades, which is exciting. Mm. But yeah, if you're someone who's like, I just don't relate to this world, forgive yourself. It wasn't built for you. Yeah. Um, but it is really important that we as women engage in our finances, get financially educated and pay attention to our money because we face additional hurdles when it comes to financial well-being. So we have a gender pay gap, unfortunately, and tragically this year it went up here in Australia, mm. which was really devastating. We also have interrupted um, careers and, you know, interrupted work lives because of caring duties and expectations, um, which means we're, we're earning less on a whole, which means we're putting less towards our superannuation. And that's problematic because we live longer on average than the boys. So we've got less money that we need to kind of spread over more years. And we also have um, typically more complicated um, health problems and medical needs. So, you know, expenses are high. There's also the pink tax. I could go on, honestly, there's so many things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, gosh, darn No, no. <laughs> being a woman in this world, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Look, and instead of just despairing about how it is, obviously we work to change those, those social factors, but getting educated around your money, um, prioritising your financial well-being with good money practices, you know, making sure you have insurances, your will's done, that you, that you don't spend everything you earn, that you learn how to multiply your money will really pay off in the long run and give you so much more confidence flexibility and freedom. And, and that's what it's about for me. Like for me personally, it's not about the dollar in my bank account. It's what, what lifestyle, what choices mm. does that empower me to have? And also how does it empower me to support the things that I care about? Cause that's a really big factor too. We've got women are driving the um, ethical investing 
movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why I'm always like, it's never a bad thing when women have more money because <laughs> they tend tend to invest it in their families, in their societies and creating really positive social change. So if you're someone who's like really passionate about making the world a better place, one of the best ways you can do that by, is getting your hands on some money mm-hmm. and then putting it in the things that can create that social change. Yeah. So, there's a bunch of reasons. <laughs> so many <laughs> reasons. And I, I feel like it is true, you know, it, I guess it comes back to that um, financial literacy and just really understanding what we can do with, you know, you, you brought up all those challenges for women, which unfortunately is is kind of the reality that we have to deal with in terms of yeah. culture and society. It's the way that it, it's been built. So specifically, if we, if we go back and track through you know, firstly, the pay, I mean, there's nothing we can do about the pay gap um, because it kind of exists, I suppose. But just in terms of, you know, like interrupted careers and I guess even like re-entering the workforce because there, obviously, if you, you you might be taking some time away if you want to have babies. You might, might want to stay at home for a period of time while you raise your children when they're young. And then you might re-enter the workforce, but not particularly, it, it might not be a full-time capacity, it might be part-time are there any tips or advice that you would give women to deal with these particular things around money? Definitely. So we'll we'll start with the career breaks and the gender pay gap. What yeah. can we do about that? Yeah. And then, you know, let's talk more generally around, well, what can you do to create financial well-being, improve financial literacy? But so um, let's talk career breaks because that's one very close to my I know, heart. you're about, about to take one. <laughs> right now absolutely (laughs) and you know it's it's a really um it's a big deal I think 170,000 women last year took a career break to um care for relatives or raise families that's a lot of women Mm. in Australia every year and um one of the things that we is obviously the impact of that is that you might be eligible for parental leave from your employer or from the government um but the money being contributed to your superannuation is not a requirement as a part of that payment. So normally when you go to work, you earn your wage, but also 10% of everything you earn goes into your superannuation fund, which is, um, again, that future freedom fund, that money that's going to replace your income in retirement. Um, But if you take two years out of the workforce, let's say, to, to raise a family and you're earning the average Australian weekly wage, which is um, about just under $1,500 a week, so $1,456. That over two years means that you miss out in contributing about $14,383 to your super. Now, 14 grand doesn't sound like a lot. You're like, yeah, 14 grand, whatever. Mm. But the compounded effect of that um, between, you know, the age of 30 and retirement, 35 years later, um, is that, you know, assuming the return was like 6.7% net of fees, that 14000 ends up being about 125000 mm. of money that you don't have at retirement, um, which is significant. That's probably like three or four, maybe more years yes. of income yeah. in retirement. So, and just for taking that gap. So, For career breaks, one of the best things you can do is, you know, find out what support is available to you in terms of parental leave, government support. Um, Then the second thing would be to kind of go, 
what can I do to make up those super contributions? Can I do some salary sacrificing early? Mm. Can I, um, can my husband, or like, I'm making assumptions, sorry, can my partner split um, part of their super contributions and put them into my fund through um, spousal co-contributions? Might I be eligible for a low-income tax offset? in my super fund. There's lots of different things mm. available. Yeah. Um, so, so thinking about, well, how can I make up that contribution so I'm not missing out in retirement um, from that? So doing lots of planning and there's lots of little posts on my Instagram if anyone wants to go for a scroll um, talking about that. Um, but on that pay gap, I mean, look, it is, um, you know, there's only so much control we have as an individual but as a collective, there's a lot we can do. We we can demand better pay transparency from our employers, from our governments. Um, and, you know, we can um, try and implement, if we have the opportunity, best practice when it comes to um, avoiding discrimination and bias in our hiring practices. Um, and then getting um, involved in groups that advocate for better pay and better childcare and better workplace flexibility. Um, one of my favourite ones is the Parenthood, who's got some beautiful research around the economic and social benefits of better childcare and early childcare, as well as better um, workplace policies um, for not only the individuals and the children, but actually for our economy, we'll actually produce much higher GDP if we can encourage workforce participation. Mm. So, um, so getting behind things like that, creating awareness and just pushing for it on the agenda with our governments. Yeah, I think those suggestions are really great because too, I think like what I just said that was my first response to when you talked about the pay gap was like, oh, well, what can we do about that? I mean, is there really anything? As an individual, yes, you definitely feel like, <sighs> like where is my power there? You know, I have no negotiating power really because if they've set, you know, a standard for women specifically, I mean, and it, is so unfortunate that it happens to be that way, but I um I really like those suggestions that we can yeah. work as a I guess a collective yeah to to make that shift. So just in terms of financial literacy and becoming more educated around money, there's the practical aspects of money where you can actually you know look at what you've got and decide what you want to do with your money, but there's also this other I guess mental and emotional side of it, which is when we talk about, and, and this can kind of be applicable to any any area of life as coaches, I think we talk about beliefs and the impact that our behaviours have on ultimately our lifestyle, our reality, the outcomes that we see. So what are the most common beliefs that you have heard from clients that have really stopped them from creating the lifestyle that they want? Oh, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to hear this. Yeah. No, look, it's so interesting. So our money mindset, if you were imagining your finances as a house, right, the mindset is like the ground on which your house is built. And if that's not strong and healthy, your financial house is going to be really wobbly. And so actually spending some time unpacking this, getting to understand it, maybe reframing it is probably the most important step in creating financial well-being. Um, and what's really interesting, the thoughts, feelings, beliefs that we have about money and how it works in the world is um, based on some research from ANZ, is, is actually formed by the age of eight years old, which is wow. so young. Like So young. Eight-year-old me didn't earn a wage. She did not pay bills. She did not know what was up. But 
you know, already you're starting to build beliefs around money and what does it mean to have money, not have money, how does it work in the world, all those sorts of things. So um, look, every, everyone's money story and money situation is personal. It's always going to be unique to them. But I do see common money personalities, um, which often have like very specific behaviours and beliefs. And no no one way is really bad. It's just about understanding what's your natural propensity to think or behave with money and then creating a money framework that kind of like hacks that kind of thing and makes mm. the most of that. So, um, and it's, it's just like having a fitness plan. You know, if you're someone who loves, you know, music and feeling like it's a party, you know, if, really loud music and there's a group of people there is probably going to be really motivating to you rather than going for uh, like a long ocean swim, for example. It's just finding out like what style, what kind of behavior suit you. But yeah, on the um, money personalities that I see often is like the, um, I'm the spender one. So money personalities, like we're here for a good time, not a long time, can't take it with you, just spend everything you have. (laughs) Um, You know, there's mindsets around, well, my self-worth is highly correlated with my net worth and I am not worthy or important unless I earn good lots of money, unless I have flashy things, unless I have a big bank balance, which, um, you know, can be really challenging in the event that you aren't earning a lot of money or things don't play out that way. And then your sense of self-worth can be really deteriorated. Um, there's a lot, particularly with female clients around, I just, I'm not a numbers person and I really get them. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, oh, it's, it's too complicated for me. My, my husband does that. My, my parents do that for me. It's just not my jam. I'm more about people. Yeah. Um, uh, that money is dirty. Um, people who have money are really greedy and evil. Um, are some of the ones that come up. So, and you know, these are all representative of those sort of five typical money personality types. And um, I think what's really important is spend some time just sort of reflecting on what are those money messages that you've received? How did your parents talk about money? What did it feel like to earn money for the first time? What worries you about money? Um, You know, how much money do you think you need for life? And just sort of start asking yourself these questions. And hopefully through that, you can identify some of these beliefs and patterns around money. Um, I do have a personality quiz on my website, so you can always take that. Yes, we'll go <laughs> pop that up in the show notes. So you can tell, I actually did this before the chat. Oh, super. <laughs> it, it, it's so accurate as well. I think I got the, the saver. Was that it? Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. So I, I'm very much like delay gratification. I will, I've said this to a few people where I'll just, when I get this done, when I do this, when I finish this, then I'll be able to treat myself to whatever. And then it just never really ends up happening. But right. <laughs> And it's so funny because a lot of people would say, oh, well, money saver, that's great. That means you're like not spending your money and being frivolous. Um, but it can have, which is a positive behavior, but it can also have, um, you know, some downside to it if it means that you never let yourself enjoy your money or if it yes. means that you um, only save cash and never learn how to multiply your money through investing. Invest. Um, yeah. And so that's why there's never a, there's never like a perfect or, you know, absolute right way to be with money. It's just like learning around what's your natural propensity, what might your blind spots be, and then putting things in place to kind of 
support your financial well-being with those factors in mind. Um, and that's what yeah. I do a lot with people as a coach is like help them understand themselves, create a system that really works for them, educate them on why we're doing that and, and help them articulate like what's it all for? Like what does mm. what does well-being look like for you? Why are you working? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And then actually developing a plan on like how you might get there as well because yeah. most of us don't think about it. It, it like it's a, probably the most common thing I see in coaching is that people don't know what they do, like what it is that they're working for. Um, the most common default is like, I'll buy a house, but like, but why? Why do you want to buy a house? What does that mean? Yeah. When? Like, yeah. and just getting really clear yeah. on that. Because once you know that money is easy, you it's literally like paint by numbers is what you need to do. But you've got to come back to what matters to you. What do you want to achieve? Yeah, I think that's so great too to really find that individual uh, approach to it because like you said, it is so personal to everyone. Everyone has their own natural propensity to do something but then if it's not propelling you towards where you want to go or creating the lifestyle that you want, then that's where you need to unpack what's going on and how can we shift some things to take the actions that we need to get to where you want to go. Yeah, and set yourself up for success. It's like Mm. some people do really well with very like rigid and specific plans, just like some people really respond to like rigid and specific training, whereas others of us need more flex and kind of more like guidelines and with that we respond well. So, you know, loose training plans. And so it's just know thyself, create a plan that supports you. And then, um, you know, then you'll have a better chance of being successful. Yeah. I really love that. Now, you know, touching on what you said before about one of the beliefs, I think this whole idea, I, I know most people, I would say as a generalization, want to earn more money or want more money, right? And so some of those beliefs may be stopping us from doing that. How can we develop an abundant relationship with money where it feels like you were just saying before that it's like a paint by numbers thing and it's just, it should be just so easy. And I know a lot of people don't feel like that about money. So how can we create that mindset where it's just, it's just money and it's, it's not a struggle to achieve the abundance that we want. Yeah. First of all, spend some time getting really aware of like, what are the things I tell myself about money? What are my typical behaviors around money? And that might be out of, that might be something you can do by yourself, or you might need to engage the support of a coach to help unpack those things. Um, and then it's that, okay, well, what are these beliefs and reframing them? So, you know, if you are someone who always stresses around every time, oh, these bills, they never stop, that I'm always paying bills, money just flies out of my wallet. Even just reframing it to being really grateful, and I know this might sound a little bit woo-woo, but but literally being grateful for your capacity to be able to pay a bill. And every time you do it, you just say to yourself, there's plenty more where that came from. You know, something as small as that can just really change the energy and the attitude and the feelings around your money Um, because as you said in the beginning for most of us when we think about money it's like oh it's a chore or there's never enough of it or oh it's too overwhelming I can't deal you know oh Jesus I'm feeling I'm feeling down and depressed already where it's you know something is like money is this uh, tool that allows me to care for myself 
for others and for the causes that I believe in. That's way more empowering and exciting. Um, if you believe that you have everything within you to create financial well-being, well, yeah, you're probably going to become a self-fulfilling prophet and actually create financial well-being. So spend some time going, okay, what would I need to believe? What would I need to say to myself if I was a person who achieved, you know, the life that I was that I was looking for? Um, I've, I said it a little bit earlier, but having some actual goals that excite you. Um, mm. So often I'll work with clients and they'll be like, this year I would like to save $15,000. And I'm like, cool, why? <laughs> They're like, it's a good number. And I'm like, but what are you going to do with it? What's it for? Why? And then when you get to the why, and it's like, because having that money in my account makes me feel safe and like I can handle any problem that comes my way. Okay, that's a juicy goal. Let's let's get to that point where you feel safe that you can, you know, leave a job if it's making you miserable or fly home if there's an emergency and you need to go see your parents or whatever it is. That's like more compelling than that just mm. I'm just saving for savings. And it's really hard to stick to them when it's not a compelling goal because it's like, okay, option one, save $15,000. Option two, head to the bar, have some shots with some friends and buy the night away. I know what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> and, um, and that's okay. But you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to, if you've got compelling and exciting goals, it's going to be easier to stick to them um, than if you just have, yeah, no goals or boring goals. Um, and then create a money management framework that allows you to take care of today take care of tomorrow with the right balance of enjoying yourself because life mm. is to be lived. Like yeah. it's it's like if you put yourself on a strict diet and you're never allowed to like have some of that delicious salted lint dark chocolate. You know what I'm talking about. Oh my about, God. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. My favorite is lint chocolate actually. Seriously? So good. Oh, so good. <laughs> but like imagine if you just were like, no, that's out because if I eat that, I'm not being healthy. If you've eaten healthy for the rest of the day and then you have that, that's cool. You're yeah. right, baby girl. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> Same goes for your money. If you are taking care of your bills, you put some money towards long-term savings or long-term goals, Buddy, buy the shoes or the third cocktail or the trip to Ibiza if you can afford to, by all means, like yeah. live. But yeah. it's just getting that balance right and making sure that you you are addressing those areas of your life. Yeah. I love how you just related that to lint because I feel like you almost <laughs> need to have like a lint fund, right? So you can call it whatever you want to, but the yes. correlation between your health and fitness journey, like if you're if you're trying to, you know, lean down or whatever it is, it's the same thing. You obviously can't restrict yourself so much that the whole process of it becomes unenjoyable. You have to have those moments because it is about money is a tool to help you live your life. So mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a thing in itself, but like you said before, it it helps everything in your life. So it's it's kind of more of a I guess a holistic approach to it, right? Looking yeah, at it in and that way, sustainable because yeah, it's it's not often like a, a destination you arrive at. It's a practice, and you sort of want to just keep practicing, keep building up those those money muscles, and and that will create momentum, and you will arrive at some certain goals. Be that you know, becoming debt-free or owning or purchasing your own home or being able to work less and spend more time, you know, pursuing passions or with your family because of those practices. So by all means, you arrive there, but it's not like a, a one and done kind of thing. It's, it's really just habits that you create for life. 
Yeah, it's a process and you just continually work at it. And it evolves as well. Like you said, with the goals, you might hit that goal, but obviously you need to then, you'll shift your goal and then have somewhere else to, to work towards, right? Yeah. Or have another direction to work towards. It's really fun looking back at my old goals because it makes me appreciate how far I've come and like mm. what used to be, like I remember saving my first $10,000 felt nigh impossible. I was like... I just like I'd get close but you know I was, I was probably like coming out of uni in my first job and you're not earning much plus you got bills to pay and so you know putting away 100 bucks a week 200 bucks a week like that was a lot of my paycheck yeah. and building that up to 10,000 took time um but you do get there eventually and then it just you build momentum it gets easier you get better things things sort of um snowball from there but it's but it's the same skills that I use then that I use now um they never change yeah it's all the habits and the behaviors and that's what we need to be doing all the ones that are moving us towards where we want to go so if we're talking about thriving financially like you said before there um I mean you've touched on the different components so this part I guess we're talking about investing right and Mm. um and we want to we want to use the money that we've kind of got in this little freedom fund to to future or to to set ourselves up for the future essentially right Mm -hmm. and I know that this is definitely not a conversation that I have had with many women around investing. Um, I think any kind of conversations I've had about investing have generally speaking been more with men or males. And, you know, for me, I grew up, my dad's an an architect. So I was exposed to that kind of conversation a lot when I was younger. So I got into the property market when I was, you know, 21. um, But that's because I was exposed to it very early on. But there are other things, you know, at the moment, there's these buzz investments like, you know, crypto NFTs that (laughs) are a little bit more volatile, obviously, because they're newer. But there's, you know, things that are a bit more, I say, quote unquote, established investments like stocks and Mm -hmm. bonds and ETFs and things. And I know probably not a lot of women may have had much experience or exposure to even these terms or or investing in these kinds of avenues. Mm. So what is your suggestion for people who are wanting to invest, but really don't know where to start? Yeah, great question. So first of all, if you got through, you know, grade three math, (laughs) maybe grade five math, but honestly, (laughs) if you got through that, you've got all the smarts to understand money, create financial well-being and become a successful investor. Um, There's a lot of like myth and mystique around investing and it's like this you know, secret world. It's honestly really simple concepts. Um, It's very accessible these days. We're so lucky to live at this point in time because investing has become really accessible. Um, My first investment, I had to go to a broker's office, you know, knock on the door, have already saved my money and then ask him to invest it on my behalf. Today, if you can buy shoes online, you can buy shares online. Like yeah. it's so much easier, <laughs> um, which is great. So a couple of things to be mindful of before you start investing is, first of all, make sure that you have that those emergency savings, rainy day savings, OMG savings um, set aside because you don't want to have a situation where you suddenly need cash and you're forced to sell an investment mm. at a time that's not appropriate. Um, so save, um, I always say 
three to six months of living expenses should always be in cash for you to be able to kind of like handle your business um, (laughs) if something comes up. Second thing is if you have high interest debt, like credit card debt, um, personal loans, car loans, anything that's charging you more than 10%, pay that off before you start investing. The reason is what that debt is costing you is going to be more than what you're probably going to earn on that investment. So whilst it might feel like you're getting ahead because you're investing, you're actually going financially backwards because of the expensive debt that you have. Mm. Um, So that's one, that's two. Then get clear on your goals. So contrary to popular belief, investing is not about you know, the bull or the bear market, buying low, selling high, the stock tip that Uncle Gary gave you, the, <laughs> the crypto advice that your, like, brother's mate gave you. It's There's actually, a lot of crypto advice going around right now. It's like certifiable, yeah. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that, but I did. Yeah, you can. Um, you totally can swear on this podcast. <laughs> great. Yeah, and look, most people have no idea, so... Be careful as to who you take advice from. Um, they always like tell you about the guaranteed great results. Run a mile. Um, yeah. But yeah. So look, it's not about that. It's actually about your goals. Like investing is putting money away today so that it's worth more in the future to facilitate a lifestyle, a goal, something that you want to purchase. That's what it's about. So get really clear on what those goals are and, and when you want to realize that goal is it one to three years away, three to five years away, or seven plus years away. Um, then spend some time getting educated on the basic concepts of investing. So, what's risk? What's returns? What's diversification? What are the different asset classes, cash bonds, property shares, and more? Um, how do you construct a portfolio? And that might sound like, Betsy, do I don't have to go do a degree in finance? No, just read an investing book, listen to some investing podcasts, work with a financial coach. Um, My friend Molly runs something called the Ladies Finance Club. They have the Shares for Beginners course. Just do something like that so that you, before you take your hard-earned cash and invest it, you've kind of got like a bit of a plan behind what you're doing. Um, Start doing some research and then start investing. Um, And there's so many places you can start. I think as an investor, there's things like, You've got micro-investing apps, which allow you to invest money in a really well-diversified investment across lots of different assets for as little as $5 or $50. So you can kind of start doing it without risking too much money. You've got robo-advisors who will ask you a series of questions, find out what your goals are, and make an investment plan for you. Um, And then you've got things like exchange-traded funds. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, what is, what is that? What is girlfriend talking about? <laughs> yeah. That means that you need to do a little bit of education before you start putting your money into an investment and be that shares, property, um, funds, robo-advisors, micro-investing ads. Just do a little bit of education first. But honestly, it's it's very easy to get started and do so safely if you spend a little bit of time up front just making a bit of a plan and getting a bit of educated. Yeah, you do need to definitely do your research, I feel. I think I heard someone else saying how you just really need to spend a good, I don't even know how many hours it was, but a good chunk of hours researching what you're going to put your money into before you delve into it. And I think, um, 
you know, that's and that's why it's so important for us as women to become more financially literate and understanding what we can actually do with our money, you know. But did you know that women actually make really great investors? Contrary to popular belief, we're actually better at it than the boys. Um, I can't remember the exact stat, but... um, there's there's a, there's something on my Insta page about it, but but um, research shows that women will often um, generate better returns on their investment than men. Why? Because they take time to develop a plan. They're not afraid about asking questions and getting advice. And then when they do invest, they tend to stick to the plan. So they're buying and selling their investment less so they have less costs and overall produce better investment results. Um, and I can't tell you the amount of men especially, women also, but men especially that I've talked to and they're like, oh, my God, do you invest? And they're like, yeah, my mate gave me this stock tip on this, you know, mining stock that was about to go through the roof and I invested in it and I lost all my money and I just haven't really done it much since. And I was like, cool. Well, yeah, that was pretty risky, <laughs> risky first-time investment, <laughs> yeah. all my money into one stock, like all yeah. my eggs into one basket. Yeah. Um, so, you know, honestly, women make great investors. We should do it more often. And it's it's the secret to freedom, learning how to multiply your money because you want to do it so that your money starts earning its own money so you don't have to work so hard, which sounds yeah, good to me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you, want, you want your money to be working for you, not you working for your money basically. Absolutely. And like you said before, it's, you know, it's not necessarily how much you're earning but what you do with the money that you do earn. So True. If you are earning, you know, $70,000 a year and you're saving 10%, you are doing so much better than the person earning $300,000 a year and spending three hundred and five. dollars So don't feel like you can't um, invest or save money or grow your wealth because you don't have a big salary. That's absolute rubbish. Um, you know, aim for just 10% of everything you earn gets invested, 20%. Great. If you can do that, that's amazing. And you probably won't miss it. Um, And also, just by the way, if you have a super fund, you're already an investor. Um, Mm. So go pay attention to that bad boy because that's your future freedom fund and it's your investment and it's your money. So check that one out. Yeah, we've got to look into it. I feel like it's one of those things that kind of just gets sidelined a little bit. It's like, yeah, that's going to my super and I'll deal with that later, you know. And so I think it's just more being conscious of all these things that, we do actually have control. You can make choices around your super. You can decide what you're going to be investing in within that fund, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. Five yeah. things that you can do that will boost your super and not cost you a cent is one, make sure you've just got one fund. Two, just check what fees that are you paying on it. Is it like less than 1% is a good rule of thumb? Um, how's it invested? Is it invested in, you know, things that are going to grow or is it got quite a conservative investment profile and you can change that is it invested ethically if that's important to you you can choose how that happens and yeah like I think that was three tips but anyway there's three <laughs> there's three <laughs> tips. <laughs> I can't think of the other two <laughs> three three awesome tips so one of the other things that I really like to talk to my guests about is rejection and failure because, you know, we all experience that in life. And, uh, you know, sometimes those kinds of things stop us from doing the things that we really, really want. So I'm curious to know what has been your biggest rejection or failure and what have you learned from it? 
Yeah, so I oh, like which one to choose? <laughs> the best um, one. <laughs> yeah, you know, probably the, the hardest one for me to ever work through was um, when I was working in a startup um, that I really, really cared about and I really believed in the company and our philosophy. And I just, I put my heart and soul into it. But what sort of transpired over time is that what we were actually delivering as a company and the actual culture of the company was none of those things. And I was working really hard. I I was trying to influence the direction of the company. I was dealing with a really, really toxic culture. And, you know, I had to make the choice. Do I keep, um, do I keep pushing through this Um, or do I step away? And for me, stepping away really felt like I'd failed. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd had people I know invest in that company. I'd been out publicly talking about, you know, how great it was going to be, but the reality just didn't meet the expectation. And, um, And when I was sort of contemplating leaving it, a lot of the people in the organization were very like, you know, you're making a huge mistake if you leave us. Like, you know, what are you going to do next? Who's going to hire you? Um, and it really took stepping away from the business, like just for like a little holiday, because sometimes when you're in those situations, yes. it's hard to see the forest for the trees. Um, so I took some time off, just a week. Um, and actually my mum got breast cancer at that oh same week and I was like, well, that's a great, great way to reset my priorities. I and know, just like yeah. Reality check of what matters. Um, and yeah, and anyway, I ended up stepping away and it took me a long time to kind of um, feel okay about that decision of like something not working out how I thought it was going to be. And and um, it ended up playing out about 18 months later that that company collapsed and um, what I had been sort of foreseeing ended up being quite justified. Mm. Um, but for a long time, you know, it, I felt like the goose who'd walked away and just couldn't hack it and so forth. But it did teach me um, just the importance of always sticking to your values. Like if something doesn't feel right, if it feels like your integrity is being compromised, um listen to that voice I think as women we often um question ourselves more than we question others <laughs> which mm, is crazy yeah. um so you know it really taught me like if something feels wrong it doesn't feel right you know trust trust that inner voice and and then also back yourself like everything's a lesson um and if if you fail it's not fatal it's just what did you learn from it what did you do and um, you know, since then I've gone on and had some brilliant jobs and I love the my day job beyond my coaching business that I do now where I'm working at a really thriving fintech and we, we create really great technology that helps people with their finances and, um, and I'm in an environment where I'm really well respected um, and just really well supported and I'm like, oh, this is what this what is it's what, meant to what, feel like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so I hope I hope that might help someone out there if they're just in an environment where they they like really believed in something, but it's just not turning out to be that, and they're feeling like they found. Don't worry, don't just back yourself to move on or take a risk mm. or or keep going because yeah, your intuition will work out. Right. Yeah, yeah, your intuition, and I feel like that's the. I mean, I I definitely have felt these moments, but I I I know people have, you know, we all experienced that moment of knowing that it's 
something doesn't feel quite right. Mm. But then it's that courage even to make that decision and, and follow because you don't know for sure at the time when you're making that decision. So, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't tell until looking backwards at it, then you can kind of connect the dots and so, and go, okay, yeah, I was, that was, and, and you hear so many people talk about that when they look back and if they didn't listen to their intuition, then mm. it turned out to be, you know, they should have. They they really regret not listening to it. So it's so great to hear yeah. you know, that, that that was, you know, really strong for you that you're able to take that action. It's amazing what your body will tell you. Like when looking back now with the wonderful perspective of hindsight, um, you know, I was breaking out in like skin rashes from stress. Like I, I like that should have wow. been a sign for yeah. me, um, you know, not sleeping well. And like I, I look back at the state I was in in that environment um versus now and like my husband often says to me he's like you're like a different person these days he's like I got my Betsy back and I was like I got my Betsy back yeah um, because you know when you're feeling really aligned with your values you feel like you've got the right balance in life between work and play and and doing stuff that's meaningful for you and feeling like you're around good people um you just you just shine <laughs> so mm. much more and it's yeah. just hard in the moment because as humans, we really crave certainty um, and we want to know that we're making the right choice. And especially like if anyone else suffers from the good girl complex and like mm-hmm. wanting to get everything right all the time, um, yeah. taking a risk can be really scary. But um, you've just got to trust yourself that everything's going to figure itself out um, and take that take that next step. And it's just one more step. And just yeah. be like, I, everything's figureoutable. <laughs> Something yes. I always tell myself. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's just just focus on the next step. That's a good one too. Yeah. The other question that I like to ask my guests is, what is your life philosophy? So, if you had an overarching statement to which you try to live your life by, what would that be? Well, um, I don't think I've ever told anyone this before, so it's going to make me laugh. But um, so my mum's maiden name is Mackenzie, and my middle one of my middle names is Mackenzie, and they are a Scottish clan from the Highlands of Scotland, and they have a motto on the crest, which is "Lucio non euro," which means "I shine, not burn." And I've always kind of had this mindset about shining, not burning, which. For me, I interpret as, you know, I want to be a leader who, you know, shines the way for other people through the way that I live, the way that I treat others, the things that I put my energy into. Um, And the not burning is, um, you know, really caring about people and relationships, not burning bridges unnecessarily, but also not burning myself out as well. Um, And that's something that I've had to learn how to manage better over over the years because I've definitely burnt myself out a few times <laughs> around this little old life. Um, but, yeah, and so I kind of just try and use that um, as, a, as a bit of a mindset and a, a way to just think about, you know, how can I contribute? How can I bring light to someone's day? How can I bring light to the world? Um, how can I be a good leader? But also how can I, yeah, you know, not burn people, not burn bridges, not burn myself in the process. So yeah, and it's just something that's on the family crest. So I kind of like it. That's amazing. I really love that. That's probably the most unique life philosophy I've ever heard. I shine, not burn. So I really love that. I think, I think we could all use a little bit of that mantra in our life. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I feel like I have learned so much and I've, I really have loved this chat and I know that everybody listening is going to now look at what we're doing with our money and go, okay, I need to reassess and <laughs> figure out what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm going to have my three little things that I want to do. I want to you know, obviously earn money, want to save, we want to have a little freedom bucket as well and figure out what we're going to do with that. So how can people find you and all the amazing work that you do? Because you've got heaps of resources as well that people can access. Yeah. So um, on Instagram, you can find me at Ms. Betsy Westcott. Um, because I'm a corporate dork, uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> Love um, it. Yeah, cool corporate dork. Um, so yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn at Betsy Westcott. Um, but for all my coaching work, I work with individuals. I work with couples a lot around how do you become a financial team as a couple, um, as well as running uh, little boot camps to get financially fit, which is a lot of fun. Um, and then I've got lots of resources on how to create a spending plan, get across your money mindset, money personality quizzes um, and things like that there, which you can just download for free because, um, you know, I just want people to have access to tools to support their financial well-being. And that's at my website, betsywestcott.com. Amazing. So perfect. Make sure you check out all of that awesome stuff, guys. And we'll pop all those links up in the show notes as well so that you can get access to it. I did the personality test and I highly recommend it because that <laughs> at least it gives you, I mean, it's not something that you, you probably already know it, but it's just then blaringly right in front of your face. And you're like, <laughs> okay, so I need to work on the kind of the weaknesses that come from that as well as focusing on the strengths as well. So um, make sure you check it all out, guys. Thank you again so much, Betsy, for joining me on the show. And guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure you screenshot this episode, share it to your IG stories and tag at Ms. Betsy Westcott and at Rach Active. And we'll catch you next time on the Rach Active podcast. 